0: Well, we're going to study this morning, uh, again, from the Gospel of Matthew, the, what is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's a rather dry name, but it's a name title given to the longest answer that Jesus ever gives to a question in the New Testament. And it's called the Olivet Discourse. He's discoursing, he's speaking to his disciples. It's called the Olivet Discourse because he is speaking at this point from the Mount of Olives, he is sitting with his twelve men. He has been rejected by Israel by the leaders of Israel. He has preached in the temple. He has been courageous. He has been uh, unans- he has been unanswerable. He's the false teachers have tried to send one attack against another, and we've witnessed in the Gospel of Matthew at this point the Lord Jesus be unassailable. He answers every question with wisdom, with insight, and not only does he withstand the attacks of his enemies, but he actually goes on the offense and exposes the hypocrisy of the religious elite at that time. And nonetheless, he is lamented over Jerusalem. He is, remember, the king of Israel. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of David. He is the one who will reign in and from Jerusalem over all the earth. And yet Jerusalem at this point has rejected him. In just a few hours they will cry out, crucify him. The Messiah, just according to plan, right according to plan, according to Daniel 9, is going to be cut off. He's about to be crucified. And his disciples are asking him about the end of the age. And Jesus gives them and us- And those who will live in that time, an answer that is our study in these weeks. I'm going to read from God's word in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, and I will read through verse 41 once again. This morning we'll be really looking at the first 14 verses, but I want to read a little longer so we have the context of what Jesus is saying. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to the point to point out the temple building to him. And he said to him, do you not see? He said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And when will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in his field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky— and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. and They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branches already become tender and puts forth its leaves, You know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day of Noah, that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Spirit of God, you, the one who carried along Matthew to record these words of the Lord Jesus shortly before he was to be betrayed, crucified we appeal to you spirit of God and spirit of Christ giver of this word where there is confusion or questions we pray in your might and in your power that you would renew and open and humble the hearts and minds of all gathered here that we might be open to what you have given, what our Lord told us in advance, which is not conjecture, it's not fantastic, it's not spectacular for the purposes of mere interest. But these things are written so that we might be instructed and have hope for living in difficult days. Bless preaching of your word now. We pray for Jesus' honor. Amen. We are blessed to live in these days with our technological advancements, with medicine, with vehicles and cars and comfortable houses, at least in this part of the world. We are certainly blessed but try as we may, no matter how many videos we watch about how to make our home a little more comfortable or help our health issues, no matter how much we try to shut out the reality that the world is full of evil, the news increasingly tells us we, it just can't be denied. We are here this morning. And we have a government and a leader who is attacking another nation and, and actually mentioned that he possibly might launch some nuclear missiles. And, and you can say, oh, I don't know, I don't think he would, or maybe you think he would. It's irrelevant. This morning we have we live in a world with, in which, with the press of a button, the kind of power can be released that can annihilate millions of lives. That's the world we live in. We live in a world in which there are governments such as in China where there is such control that if you're a Christian uh, you are one who holds to the faith and maybe you don't attend one of the state-sponsored churches. With your phone, your tracks, this is not Spectacular! This is the way things are. And if you happened to be in a meeting like this this morning, it would be noted. <clears throat> and your career advancements would be shot. And not only would you suffer a level of persecution from the Chinese government, but your family members would and everyone who's associated with you would. And they know because they're watching. That's not off in the future. That's here and now. We live in a world in which, in our own nation, after decades of the professors in our universities ta- constantly telling us that the nature of the human heart is basically good. It's these structures that are evil. We're very aware that right now in our cities, in the United States, that theory, believed by a generation in the universities, is now being revealed to be utterly empty as we see violence of the most ugly and despicable kind common in our society. We live in an evil world. We need to wake up. We need to wake up to the realities that God tells us about in his word and we need to wake up to what Jesus is telling us about Not in order to somehow speculate on the exact time that Jesus is coming. We are told nowhere in Scripture are we to do that. And Jesus himself just told us that no one knows the exact hour of his coming. Not even he, but his father. We are not to be interested in portions of Scripture like this for mere curiosity or for speculation or to sell books or have people attend conferences These words are very important for everyday believers. I say this because in our time and day and age among Christianity and evangelicals especially, there is very little interest in anything having to do with prophetic future, what the scripture has to say about the future. The idea of the current moment seems to be who can know, who can understand these things It'll all work out in the end. But that cannot be our conviction. I say, why? And why am I that strong about it? Here is the gospel of Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given and recorded to inform the Jews and all believers that Jesus is the King of Israel. And here it is, At this point in the Gospel of Matthew, after the Sermon on the Mount, after his standing against the leaders and the false teachers, after his healing and after his discipling his men, here it is, essentially hours before he is to be betrayed, crucified, and we have the account of his resurrection. And at this juncture in the Gospel of Matthew, the Holy Spirit has Matthew write down... The longest answer of Jesus to a question recorded in the scriptures. Think about that. I'm I'm bringing your attention to the placement. It's not that Jesus gives a lot to say about what's going to pass. It's that the Holy Spirit places this material and Jesus gives this material essentially on the eve of the day in which the next day he's going to be he's going to be betrayed. This is cannot be relegated, as with, I fear, some of you, to the category of, well, I'll let somebody else figure that out. This is your Lord's words to you, the church, in every generation. But as we saw, particularly with a heart and a mind for that generation that will be in place when they go through this specific period of time. Just like all prophecies in the scriptures, there are aspects of those future prophecies that that you can see foreshadowings of in the present moment. The Old Testament, for example, speaks a lot about the coming day of the Lord, and it's a day of wrath and of judgment that that the world, but especially Israel, is going to go through. And certainly you could say that the Babylonians decimating Jerusalem and destroying the temple was a foreshadowing of the day of the Lord. You could say that the Romans decimating the temple, just as Jesus says in chapter 23. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 24, verse 2. The Romans in 70 A.D., only 40 years after this this discourse, utterly decimated the city, destroyed the temple, so that to this day, archaeologically speaking, all you can find is one of the footings of the massive platform that all the structures were upon. That destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. was a foreshadowing of the ultimate day of the Lord, But it cannot be what Jesus is talking about here, which is what some Christians teach and believe. Is that most or all even of these things were were fulfilled around 70 AD, but that cannot be the case. For Jesus also says, notice in verse 33 we read this morning, when you see how many of these things? One or two of them. When you see all of these things, recognize that he, the son of man, that is the Messiah, that is Christ, is right at the door. And we examined last week that this generation in verse 34 is that future generation, that remnant of believing Jews in particular, in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, who will, in that last seven-year tribulation period, believe in Christ. And it is precious that down through the ages, that their Messiah, that their King, has a particular word for them in that trying moment. They will go through this, the believers, during that last seven-year tribulation period. And if you weren't here last week, maybe you hear me saying, tribulation and you think oh boy we're 7 years and what did I come to this morning and I I'm not saying it was good but we did a biblical theology last week of of the reality of the truth that according to the scriptures Jewish thinking was not only did you think in terms of a 7 day week with the 7th day being the sabbath but according to the very law of God in Leviticus the Jews were commanded to think in periods of 7 year periods foreign to us we don't think in seven year periods of time it was just basic to them and in fact the whole exile into Babylon was 70 years expressly for the purpose of there being judgment one each one of those 70 years being one of the Sabbath years the seventh years that they did not honor so, seven year periods of time are not the creation of Tim LaHaye and the Left Behind series, which I've never read. I'm not saying it's bad, it just, I just don't think fiction about these things is helpful. It's not the creation of some 18th or 19th century prophecy quack. We endeavored last week to show that this idea of God working with Israel in a period, a specific period of time, most remarkable no matter your conviction, is to consider the reality that according to the prophecy of Daniel, 69 seven-year periods is around 483 years Jewish calendar. And from the decree of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, to Nehemiah around 440 BC, to the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, the week before his crucifixion, just happens to be about 483 years. And we can quibble about the specificity of it. We can say, well, maybe it wasn't that day. Or, well, however you landed, 483 years, you're landing right at the peak of the ministry of the Messiah. But there's one seven-year period remaining, and it is this period of time that Jesus is talking about His disciples have asked a question in Matthew 24, verse 3. Tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Jesus focuses especially on the sign of his coming and the end of the age. And this tribulation, this seven year period of time must take place and be fulfilled before Christ is to return, and he is going to return. There are some extreme preterists. That that means that all these prophecies were fulfilled in the past, around 70 A.D. There, the full preterists, these theologians, teach that somehow Christ came mystically, spiritually in 70 A.D., and we just all kind of need to figure it out. And I don't know about you, but this morning I, I'm uh no uh, no no we are anxiously longing for the coming and the appearing of Jesus Christ we denounce and deny any semblance of the idea that somehow Christ and this uh, this resurrection that is Jesus calls uh, talks about has somehow taken place so it is largely future it is largely future but here we are this morning as believing gentiles mostly here in chichester new hampshire and we as a church teach that we as believers are not experiencing not anticipating the day of the lord this is not the focus of the sermon this morning but we believe what paul says in first thessalonians four sixteen and 17 that the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of god and the dead in Christ will rise, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. We believe that that's teaching there, a time, a rapture that could happen at any time in which Jesus does not come to the earth, but we meet him in the clouds, and with the removal of the church begins the unfolding of these traumatic events described by Jesus characterizing the tribulation. It's interesting that the prophecies of Scripture are very clear that there is a coming day of the Lord, an unprecedented time of judgment, this seven-year period. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says to the church, for God has not destined us for wrath, we don't expect to be subjects of the day of the Lord. The Israel of old, the day of the Lord was largely, is largely, for purging and purifying and judging Israel. Not modern day Israel, but, but the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, ultimately. So what kind of application is there for us as we study these things in just a moment? There's encouragement Certainly encouragement that as we live in difficult times, believers in every generation can learn from our Lord's words here. We may not be living through the most difficult times, but we are living in times right now when our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is under fire. When we are considered to be outcast and accused of all manner of evil by this society. Jesus's words remove fear. If he's telling the generation that will live through these things, do not fear, then we don't need to be afraid at this time. We are to be vigilant and we are to be ready. We are to be ready for our Lord. We are certainly, there's a warning here against worldliness. We don't want to set down our roots too deep here because these things are passing and they are momentary. And right now, as a generation of Christians, I mean right now in the United States, we have to decide, are we going to try to secure our place in the comfort in this world? Or are we going to be willing to let go of what we might need to in order to stand for Christ at this time? But most of all, most of all, we benefit by focusing on the King. This is our Lord. And whatever we make of his words, it must move us. That here it is. He's the king of Israel. He loves his people. In chapter 23, verse 37, he's lamented, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. We've already learned Prior to his triumphal entry, he wept over Jerusalem. This is the heart of our Lord, of our Savior. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is the Savior of the world, of every men and women from every tribe, nation. And he is the Savior of Israel. He is the one announced by Gabriel the angel... His name was to be Yeshua, Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. And all those who profess faith in him are his people. But he is the son of David. He is the, in the line of David, he is the one who fulfills the promises given to Israel. And he will sit on the throne. And he longs to see all that come to pass. But he knows that he must suffer first he must die and so he's been rejected he's with his disciples left jerusalem this beautiful city at that time herod had had the great had started the project it was known in the roman empire as one of the most beautiful sites because of the expense that herod had gone to gleaming white stones massive stones we were at uh, Ellen Hofford's it was wonderful yesterday to see such a crew the church family over there and doing a work project together enjoying fellowship and I we were moving just one little stone that had fallen off of a rock wall and it took like a dozen of us men and you know th- anyways but we had some help from an engineer with us and Dave Leaked helped us figure it out how to do it and it was and we were going along and Ellen's just there watching and I said Ellen Ellen, just to think, it just struck me. I was thinking about the sermon partly. I was thinking, I said to her, Ellen, just to think, we're having the difficulty moving this one relatively small rock, and one of the foundation stones in Herod's temple was the size of your house. And they moved those. So when Jesus says to his disciples, do you see these stones? Not one will be left remaining. Th- these, are, these are massive massive stones that have been cut and that city is there and as Jesus has left and he's sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples it's there his heart is broken his heart is heavy he knows he's been rejected he knows he's going to be betrayed he knows he's going to suffer and what does he talk about what's his concern what's his concern his own comfort his own solace, not just, guys, just give me a few minutes. You know, I I got some heavy things going on. Our Lord and Savior, at that time when his heart is so broken, goes to great lengths to equip his people for living through and enduring unprecedented times of tribulations. What a Lord. What a Savior. This is our Savior. So with that rather lengthy introduction, let's look together now in verses 3 through 14 at Jesus's answer. His disciples have asked, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answers. He doesn't say, oh, why are you guys concerned in that? That's not very spiritual minded. (laughs) He answers it. And he gives, initially, six signs of the end of the age. He answers it straightforward, and we can six signs. And next week, we'll look at verses 15 and following, and we'll notice that there's, there's a bit of an overlap. But here we, in verses 3 through 14, receive an overview of that great coming, tumultuous period of time known as the tribulation. First sign, in verse 4 and 5, Jesus says, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead you. The first sign will be Christ pretenders, or false Christs. False Christs, Christ pretenders. And of course, this has been the, the case, really, since the beginning of church history, There have been men who have been demonically inspired, delusional, whatever you call it, who claim to be Jesus, and people actually follow them. But we're told, Jesus says, that before the coming of Christ, before the wrapping up of history, that there will be an increase in those who claim to be the Christ. And people will follow. People will believe it. Why? Well, people will, Satan is a, one reason is Satan is an incredible deceiver. Another reason can be the conditions of this world. People, as they become more desperate, as they experience more pain, they become more desirous of someone who will help them, a hero who will relieve them. And so they will be subject to these liars. False Christ, Christ pretenders. Many, he says, not a few, verse 5 Satan will flood the earth with many Christ pretenders. And these decoys, if you will, will confuse people. By overwhelming the earth with these, these Christ pretenders, these false pretenders, people will be confused. Some will become cynical. Everybody's claiming to be Jesus. It'll be a satanic move to multiply false Christs. Second sign that Jesus gives is in verses 6 and 7. Jesus says, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Now, that's the case right now. That's the case throughout human history. There have been wars and there have been rumors of wars. But can we entertain the idea that, that there could be a period of time even greater than a world war 1 even greater than a world war 2 where it seems like every nation is against each other every people is trying to commit genocide where there are conflicts on a multiple scale that's not hard for us to imagine is it that's not fantastical we have iran and russia we have china building its military because they want to be our friends and I mean, this isn't speculation. I don't, I don't focus on that kind of stuff. I really don't. But you got to have your head in the sand to think that somehow the mission of the United Nations is going to work. This world has wars. Here we are this morning and Russia has invaded Ukraine. Our brothers and sisters there are undergoing duress. Our brothers and sisters in Russia are undergoing duress. Imagine being a Christian man and being called into the military right now in Russia. Wouldn't that be difficult? This is the case right now. And again, what Jesus speaks of in the last days, there are foreshadowings of now. They're like, um, I think maybe one illustration might help in a in a fireworks show, if you've ever been to a big one uh, this year, we were at the Concord one, which is good, pretty good. I was surprised. You know, and there was some, the first bang, you know, the, the loud, the, the ones that really bang. You know, wow, that's impressive. But then as the show goes along towards the end, you realize that first bang was like a little pop in comparison. Because they brought, they brought out the real big ones towards the end, and they were kapow, right? moving your chest cavity and probably causing your ears to hurt a little bit. So, throughout history there are there are realities of what Jesus is talking about. We are experiencing wars and rumors right now and we need to hear Jesus's words which are precious. In verse 6, see that you're not frightened. Our Lord to us right now is speaking to hearts maybe in this room who are concerned about the news and he's saying, "Hey, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened." Those things must take place. This comforts us that history is unfolding according to God's plan. No one else's. But the second sign of the r- wars and rumors and wars is not the end. It's, it's really the beginning of the end. In the last days, maybe in the early days of the tribulation period, there will be an unprecedented amount of wars regional conflicts and the rumors constantly of yet another one starting up. And Jesus says, it is not the end. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The conflict that sometimes we see in families will just break out and multiply on a global national scale. But Jesus says, that is not yet the end. Third sign famines and earthquakes. Verse 7, in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. There have been famines throughout human history. There have been earthquakes throughout history, including in Israel. But in the last days, there will be an unprecedented amount of famines and earthquakes. And again, as those who have just gone through this thing called COVID and, and how the government's dealt with it and the shutdowns and we ought to be a little more humbled and alert to these things are not spectacular what our Lord is saying these things do happen and they can happen there will be massive earthquakes which disrupt this earth in the last days but these first three signs Jesus says in verse 8 all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs uh, the women in the room who have have had a child, a, and and the, their husbands or those who are with them, and understand that when a, a baby's about to be brought to this world, uh, that the delivery sometimes comes on fast, but often that there is just a, a beginning of contractions, and and uh, with your first uh, child, you know, every, we're, we're on alert, and and uh, they may start small, but you're watching for that and you understand that that the baby's not necessarily gonna be born right that minute but that is the beginning of the birth process these will be in the last days the indication that delivery's about to come it's just the beginning what's delivery if you use that metaphor remember the disciples are asking what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age. They expected the Messiah would come and physically rule on this earth and the kingdom of God would be here. And so that is the delivery, if you will, is the actual coming of Christ, the actual kingdom of God in Christ visible on earth. That's when the baby's born, if you will. But these first three signs early in the tribulation period are just the beginning of the birth pangs multiplication of false Christs, wars, rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes. Then, verse 9, the fourth sign, persecution of believers. Jesus says, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. I want you to note, first of all, when I use the term tribulation or the phrase great tribulation, Again, remember that Jesus is the one who uses these words. We may have an accumulated sense of of uh, impression of those who speak of the coming tribulation or the great tribulation, but we want to be careful because these are Jesus's words, nobody else's, ultimately, firstly. These are the words of Scripture. So when Jesus is speaking of a period of unprecedented persecution during this tribulation during the 7-year tribulation period those Jews and Gentiles during that that time who finally believe the gospel of Christ the church has been raptured and and the earth is is going to hell it seems it is a time of fear and terror and war and violence and famines and earthquakes and doubtless there is, and certainly there is copies of the scripture, there's, there's records of the gospel, and there are those who heard the gospel, perhaps, and had not believed. But with all these things coming, they believe, and they believe the truth of the scriptures. They believe Jesus is the Christ. They come to faith. But those who come to faith during this period, they will be persecuted severely. <clears throat> they will be hated globally. Notice Jesus says, verse 9, by all nations. Think about it. There will not be one corner of the globe, not one nation, not one county, not one area where at that time professing believers in Jesus Christ will have a place where they can have a little bit of peace like we do this morning. There has been persecution of the church from the beginning. Absolutely. By talking of a future great persecution, by no means are we belittling the reality of what brothers and sisters in Christ may be going through this morning in various parts of the world. They are experiencing severe persecution, some of them. But the fact is, right now, Christians are not hated by all nations. Not not in the kind of way that Jesus talks about. There are pockets where we can live and practice our faith in peace. During this time, Jesus says to be a Christian will be to have a mark on you. They will kill you. They will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And again, it is not fear mongering. It is not speculation. It is not fanciful for us to figure out that with our technology now and the fact that Probably 98% of us in this room carry a tracking device with us at all times called your mobile phone. And we, I mean, I'm thankful for my mobile phone. And, uh, you know, there's great tools to it. But it's not fanciful or speculatory to figure out that in this time, it's actually not very difficult for nations, those who are evildoers, to figure out who are the Christians and who aren't. And so it shouldn't be hard for us to look at a time that's coming soon, likely, where Christians will be identified easily and they will be hated by all and they will be killed. The, The murder of Christians during that time will be so spectacular, so common, that in the book of Revelation, there are martyrs who are before the throne of God and they are martyred for Christ's sake they are those whose blood was shed and and they were not a few but they were many and they cry out for vengeance they cry out for vindication we know that the those will be martyred will be many during the Period of time of the tribulation. They will not be a few, but there will be many, many before the throne who are martyred for Christ's sake. Jesus says they will kill you and deliver you to tribulation, and you will be hated. Persecution of believers will be unprecedented during the tribulation period. Fifth sign in verses 10 through 12 is apostasy. Apostasy. Jesus says in verse 10, at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. It's not surprising that during a time when to be a Christian is to lose your life, to lose your livelihood, to lose your finances, perhaps to lose your ability to work, your ability to eat. To be persecuted at that level, the perks for being a Christian are going to be visibly and outwardly very few. You're not going to be able to appeal. Churches, for example, are not going to be able to appeal to people, hey, you should follow Jesus because, you know, it's it's a good way. It's good. It'll work. Just, Just add Jesus to your life and you'll find meaning and purpose. The only thing that Evangelism in those days, and in these days, should be. But the only thing that evangelism will be is the truth. There is a God who is great and glorious, who made you, who is holy, to against whom you have sinned, to whom you must be reconciled. And there is only one way that you can be reconciled to this great and glorious God who is at odds with this world. And that is through trusting and believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross for your sins. That is the only way you can be saved from the wrath and the just judgment of this God upon this world and against you for your sins against him. That's the only appeal that would be made in that day because that's the only appeal that will be able to be made. And that is the only appeal that we ought to make in this day. This morning here, you may be here and you never trusted in Jesus Christ. And maybe there's much of this sermon you don't understand, but maybe you consider this morning the realities. There is a God. One, he made you and it's evident. You're not a conglomeration of accidents. You're not glorified mud. He made you in his image for glorious and eternal purposes. He made you to know him, to love him, to serve him, to worship him and adore him. And you, like all the rest of us, haven't. You haven't loved God. You've loved yourself. You haven't done his ways. You've done your way. You've treated his gifts and his people as if they're for your purposes and your use. You've treated your life as if the sum purpose of your life is to have a good vacation once in a while and maybe have a good time. And that's it. You who are made in the image of God. Your sin and our sin against him is great and worthy of judgment. That's the truth. It's not fear. It's just a reality of who he is and who you are and your relationship to him. And you don't get to choose. That's, that's the whole thing. You didn't choose the day you were born on. You don't chase, choose the day you die on. He is God. We're not. And you must be reconciled to him. And the good news of the gospel is you can. This same God who could judge you, judge us. This is the same God who loves us and sent his son Jesus to be a man, to live in our place to live a holy life that you and I can never live, and to receive in himself the punishment for our sins, which we could not receive even if we were in eternity in hell. This is the gospel that all who trust in Jesus Christ have their sins accounted for and dealt with in Jesus and are washed and are cleansed and reconciled to God and brought near to him and restored to your original purpose, and made to be sons and daughters, and made to reign with Christ in the kingdom of God. It's a wonderful gospel, and there will be those in the last days who believe in that gospel, even under the most trying circumstances, but among those who make a profession. It seemed trendy or they wanted to please other people. Oh, yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. Maybe they were even baptized. Maybe they were even a member of a church. And Jesus says many will fall away. Not a few. Many will fall away. When persecution, the heat of persecution is turned up, you start to find out who's real. Who really believes the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a room even this size this morning, in a group this size Doubtless there are some here, known only to God, maybe known only to you. On the outward, other people know that you make a profession for Christ. But in your heart, you know before God Almighty, you don't have any real love or faith for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it wouldn't take much, just a little bit of heat, a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of persecution. And uh, you'll just back off and walk away. That's apostasy. That's apostasy is to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but then ultimately to deny that confession. And when those who apostatize, when they leave the faith, what is revealed is they were never truly of us in the beginning. That's what John the Apostle says in 1 John. They went out from us, he says, because they were not of us. Apostasy. There will be a great conversion, of many in the last days but there will also be a great apostasy and most most terrible will be verse 10 the betraying of one another and hating one another those who out of fear for their life will try to save their own by handing in and turning over and betraying other Christians it's ugly But Jesus says it'll happen. Then I want you to notice in verse. I'm sorry, in verse 12, I don't want to move too quickly. Jesus says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. There's a lesson there. What will keep you in days of difficulty and trial? Will it be an accountability group? No. Will it be a stirring pastor? No. Will it be a good plan or organization? No. In the face of the fire of persecution, in the face of losing your hand, your arm, your leg, your eyes, your very body losing your loved ones on account of your testimony and faith in Jesus Christ, what's the only thing that will keep you? What's the only thing that's sufficient? Your love for Christ. You love Jesus. You know who he is. Even though you've not seen him, Peter says, you love him. In that time, like no other, the words of Peter in 1 Peter 5 through 9 will be true. Listen to these words. Just listen for a moment. and Think about that future day. Speaking of believers, Paul, Peter says to the church he's writing to, concerning Christians, you who are protected by the power of God through, a, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God protects his people. And then he goes on to say in this you greatly rejoice that is your faith even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him you love him. You may not love him as much as you should. You may know that you should love him more, but because God, by his spirit, has done a work in your heart, changed your heart, given you a new heart, giving you a heart to trust the gospel, you love him. You love him truly. Maybe not as fully as you ought, but those who persevere are inevitably those who have this characteristic in common. They love Jesus Christ. And that love, listen, that love is not something somehow that they mustered up and produced from within. It's not an act of the will of man. But that love is a gift of God. A love given by God Himself, protected by the power of God, that come what may, no matter how hard things get, you cannot. Deny the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. True loving faith is an enduring faith protected by the power of God. Six and finally this morning, the sixth sign, verse 13 of Matthew 24, sorry, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says, shall be preached In the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The end of the age, the coming in of the kingdom, the realization of all of God's promises, what the disciples were asking about in verse 3. Prior to that, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. There are some who, again, want to say that this was fulfilled before 70 AD, and that what this means is that the gospel then was preached by the apostles, especially Paul, in all of the known world at that time. But that's not what Jesus says. All nations. There's a lot of nations that are outside the Mediterranean world. So how might this happen? I want to close this morning with directing your mind to your eyes rather to two passages revelation chapter 7 and revelation 14 so if you have a bible if you want to turn with me as we wrap this up how's that going to happen well we certainly should be active in gospel proclamation my grandfather was a and my grandmother were missionaries to Peru and They went to the Amazon jungle in the late 40s and early 50s, along with others, to share the gospel with tribes that had never heard it before. In part, because of the command of the Lord to go into all the nations, in large part. But in the last days, in the days of the tribulation, even in those dark days, there is going to be an evangelistic gospel proclamation in the face of all of the opposition unlike any other before and it will be largely carried out by this 144,000 in chapter 7 verse 4. John the, the apostle says I heard the number of the bond servants verse 3 of our God who were sealed. These are men who are set apart for a specific mission and they are sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Here we have the end of the Bible God insisting that that he's going to redeem some from every tribe of Israel. The church is not Israel. We're not assigned a tribe when we come into Christ's church. God knows his people and he's saving Jew and Gentile. We live right now in the time of the Gentiles and the building up of the church, but God has not forgotten his promises to Israel. And the theme was consistent from the beginning of the scripture that there would be a remnant in the Jews in the last day and actually I'm not going to read through the whole list in verses five through eight of twelve thousand from each tribe but look after these men are appointed and it becomes clear later in the book of Revelation that they go out with a message what is that message the gospel and John says verse nine after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. I want you to notice verse nine that right after these the mention of these 144,000 Evangelists set apart by God, protected by God, that there is before God a multitude from every nation, tribes and peoples and tongues. So that's likely in part how that mission will ultimately come true, is that great final missionary mission by those 144,000. But as if that didn't suffice, there is one more gospel proclamation that that will leave everyone without excuse. Revelation 14. Revelation 14, verse six. John says, I saw another angel flying in mid heaven having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and earth and sea and springs of waters. This is takes place right towards the end of the tribulation. This is This is one of the final seals. And just before the the last terrible judgments of the tribulation period, God has none other than an angel flying in heaven declaring the gospel. So what Jesus says in Matthew 24 will take place. Certainly he wasn't saying to us, Make sure you go preach the gospel because then if you preach the gospel to everyone, when you do that, then the age will, end of the age will come to pass. We should go and make sure we preach the gospel to every tribe, nation, language, people group. But what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 24 is an unprecedented proclamation of the gospel in the darkest moments of human history. It's going to be a remarkable time And notice especially what Jesus says in verse 14. And then the end will come. We need to close, but can I ask you just a very practical question? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the end? Because it's coming. And you want to be prepared. It's just a reality. History is unfolding according to God's plan. Jesus has told us beforehand how things are going to unfold. Have you planned on the end? When Jesus is king over all the earth, when God's way is the only way, and when his worship is heard and witnessed throughout the entire globe. You want to plan for that day. You want to believe that gospel that I explained to you this morning. You want to believe the gospel that that angel will proclaim from heaven, from mid-heaven. We want to prepare for that day. And Jesus, how kind he is to prepare every generation of his people. Yes, these words may have a particular import and peculiar relevance for that generation of believers in that tribulation period. But in closing... Two applications that we've already mentioned. I will read two verses for our application. Ready? We've referenced this so many times in the last few weeks. Second Peter 3, verse 11, application number one to us this morning. Since, Peter says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way. In other words, since things, since things are going to unfold according to God's plan, including this great cataclysmic judgment upon this earth in the tribulation and the great tribulation. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, here's the application to us. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's the question this morning. Given these things that Jesus took the time and the pain to describe in great detail before his death. Given these things, what sort of people ought we to be as Christians in this time, in this place, in holy conduct and godliness? Second application. I'm going to read Revelation 7, verse 10, and suggest to you that this is what we ought to do in light of the goodness of the Lord, in the light of the fact that he prepares his people, that we are protected by his power, we who trust in Christ, that we do not need to be afraid, that our Savior is king and our captain, that he will not destine us for wrath, that he will not leave us or forsake us, that in light of all of these things and the glory of what God is going to do, that we should join in to what John describes in Revelation 7 verse 10 when he writes about a massive throng of people before the throne they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb application 2 worship worship loud You'll know, I, we need to close. But we are pretty simple in, in our, our music because the main instrument is you. We're not going to do anything up here. You are the priests. You are the worshipers. You are the redeemed. Your singing is loud. I think you got another notch. In light of this Savior who loves us, who prepared us, we worship God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, these things leave us with our minds a bit dizzy. And we're encouraged that even a man like Daniel was overcome when he heard such things. We understand in humility that we don't understand every facet of what the Lord Jesus wrote what he said and what the spirit wrote but what he has said is clear enough in light of your scriptures so that we need not be confused help us then to live in light of what you've told us help this to be a motive to us to live now like your peop- your people ought to live in every time And most of all, we cannot thank you enough, Lord, for your love for us, for your sacrifice for us. And we worship you, O God, for the massive, glorious scale of your purpose and your kingdom. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.